0: Hello and welcome to That Movie Sounds Gay, a podcast all about movies that are kinda gay, or maybe they're not, but they probably are, at least a little. Yes, this podcast is generally not going to be looking at movies that are explicitly gay, instead its focus will be more on movies that have a homoerotic undercurrent to them, whether intentional or not. Or sometimes for movies that are just interesting to discuss from a gay point of view. I'll be looking at old movies, new movies, animated movies, live action movies, good movies and kinda bad movies. Action, horror, comedy, romance, you name it. But one thing they all have in common is, they sound gay. On this episode of That Movie Sounds Gay, we'll be discussing the 2019 film Premiere. Directed by Hiroyuki Imaishi and written by Kazuki Nakashima, the film was released as a theatrical co-production by Studio Trigger and X-Flag. Studio Trigger is a pretty notable and popular anime production studio and their work is very recognisable. I'll go into them in a bit more detail later on, but just quickly, for those who aren't aware, Studio Trigger has been behind numerous successful anime films and TV series including Kill la Kill and Little Witch Academia. The film has received critical and popular acclaim and despite not really spawning a franchise so far, as I think some people suspected it might, the film has numerous passionate fans, many of whom that have created fan works inspired by it and who are in love with the characters and world the film has introduced. I mentioned in the last episode that Premiere is the most recent film that has been discussed so far in this podcast and this means that the way I'm going to approach this is going to have to be a little different. Obviously a film that has been released for decades, like Midnight Cowboy for example, is going to have a different history and a different context to one that was released just a couple of years ago. Therefore, as well as discussing some of the gay elements and the gay appeal that is present on screen in the movie like I would usually do, I'm also going to be looking at things that are a bit more contemporary and not really so applicable to how people interact with older films. Like the fandom, the merchandising and some of the context around Premiere and the contemporary anime scene. This means going into Studio Trigger, as well as some of the popular and influential anime, as well as anime conventions and tropes that influenced the film. But yeah, hopefully this episode will be interesting to you, whether or not you regard yourself as an anime fan. Although, to be honest, that phrase has always been a little questionable to me, just because people don't really describe themselves as live-action fans. But I suppose that's a conversation to be had in over time. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to give a quick rundown of the plot as usual, and as always, will contain spoilers. Also, as is the case whenever I discuss a busy film, I'm going to have to leave out or brush over certain things just for the sake of time. The film begins with a montage of several scenes that take place years before the main events of a movie. We see various people from around the world, put-upon people, abused people, stressed-out people, being pushed further and further until we snap. Pink flames burst forth from their mouths, their eyes, their whole bodies and through a collection of news reports and snapshot scenes. We see the situation escalate where more and more people around the world develop this fiery ability, burning down buildings, people, and as the government tries to violently control these people, known as the Burnish, they fight back all the harder. We are told that 30 years have passed since this event, known as the Great Blaze, and that during it, 50% of the human population was wiped out. In the present day, we are introduced to the Burning Rescue Firefighters, a team of colourful characters who are kind of treated like celebrity heroes for their work putting out burnish fires and saving lives in the city of Prompolis. Among this squad is the main character, Gallo. He's a rookie compared to the others, but what he lacks in experience, he makes up for in having a burning soul a.k.a. Ridiculous Levels of Enthusiasm. Burning Rescue are called to put out a blaze set by a trio from a group called Mad Burnish, a radical group of burnish who are seen as villains and terrorists by the general population. After an intense fiery fight scene, Gallo and the team subdue the three, including the leader, a young man named Leo. The trio are taken into custody after some good old excessive force implemented by the shamelessly villainous and intimidating freeze force. who are kind of like cops meet army. They use freeze guns and bombs and the like to control the burnish and stifle their pyrokinetic abilities. At this point the film slows down just a little from its balls to the wall action and intense visuals setting up the political situation in Prompolis and showing a more sympathetic side to the Burnish. The prisoners taken in by Freeze Force are generally the vulnerable older people or children, those who are injured. Meanwhile, the media and citizens spread information that the Burnish are all equally dangerous and subhuman. While the Freeze Force are meant to target the Mad Burnish as a group, they end up just arresting and persecuting anyone who has developed the burnish ability to control fire, regardless of whether or not they've done anything wrong. We are also given more information on Gallo. He was rescued from a house fire as a child by the current governor of Paulus Gray Foresight. He wants to repay him for saving his life no matter what. Leo and the other imprisoned burnish manage to escape the Freeze Force prison and hide out in the woods outside of the city. Gallo comes across him, and after being knocked out and tied up by Leo, he learns more about the Burnished and their way of life. Among this is the knowledge that the Burnish's flames aren't just simple beams of fire, but more like a living force as a sort of part of them. It seems to drive them and even communicate with them. Leo also tells Gallo that Cray Foresight has been using the imprisoned burnish for cruel experiments and dissecting them to learn more about their capabilities. Gallo doesn't want to believe this is true about his hero, but after parting ways with Leo and the Burnish, he confronts Kree on this and unfortunately, it turns out that Leo was telling the truth. But it's actually even worse than that. With unsettling calmness, Kree explains that Earth doesn't have much time left. The internal magma is going to overrun the planet at any point now. And he and his scientists have been using Burnish prisoners to power an engine for a ship that will be sort of like a second Ark carrying 10,000 Chosen Ones to a new planet. Gallo begs him to find another way, but besides his cruelty to burnish prisoners, who will experience horrible pain and die from their internal flames being used in such a way, it's also leaving the rest of the population to die. But Cray is resolute that this is the only way that we can save some of humanity. At the end of our conversation, his cool demeanour slips, and he lashes out at Gallo, revealing his secret contempt for the young man, whose life he once saved. Gallo is imprisoned and betrayed, and outside the Burnish are being pursued by the Freeze Force with even more ruthlessness. Things come to a head when Leo can stand no more of this, letting his flames and anger consume him and turn into a monstrous dragon-like creature, and he burns his way through Prompolis, wanting revenge on Kray and the release of the Burnish prisoners. In the chaos, Galo escapes the prison and joins his firefighting buddies. He makes his way to Leo and the two are blown back from the city and into a hidden base where a hologram of a deceased scientist explains even more morally questionable things that Cray has been up to, such as stealing his inventions and murdering him. He also explains the existence of the Burnish, saying that their pyrokinetic abilities come from interdimensional fire beings that he is called Premier. There's a lot more to this part of the movie, but yeah, as I said, some things I'm going to need to just brush over for now. The pair are given technology by this scientist to fight together in a combined mecha suit of armour, one that Gallo names Leo de Gallon. The climax is a showdown between Leo de Gallon and Cray, during which it is revealed that despite everything he has done against Sir Kind, Kray is actually a burnish himself and he was responsible for a fire he saved Gallo from. He has hated him from this moment because it served as a constant reminder of how he had lost control and given in to his base need to burn. Leo is badly injured in the fight and Gallo uses CPR to save him, and in a long lingering scene, he kisses him on the lips to pass on his internal flame to Leo, thus reviving him. The pair manage to defeat Kray and also with Leo's invulnerability to fire and the help of the other Burnish. They manage to stop the magma, return the premier souls to their own galaxy and save the entire world. The film ends with Gallo and Leo working together to clear up the wreckage along with other firefighters and former Burnish and Gallo saying to Leo that he'll always have his back. The first thing that I wanted to discuss in regard to the gay aspects in Promare is perhaps the most obvious just from my description of the plot. Namely, this is the relationship and dynamic between Gallo and Leo. Despite some of the reasons hopefully being kind of obvious from my description already, there are also quite a few things about this pair that I haven't referenced yet, but they're still very relevant to why this film can be considered a bit gay. But first, just speaking about what is purely on screen, there definitely feels like there is some potential there for them to be interpreted as more than just friends. Actually, since this is a self-contained movie and they meet for the first time in such a heated conflict, and the movie itself is so bustling with action and giant robots and such, there is not a whole lot of downtime and quiet scenes for them to develop a friendship in a traditional sort of way. However, if the film had wanted to present them in this way, there are means it could have utilised to get around this, such as making them have a history, like being childhood friends who are now on opposite sides because of Gallo's firefighting career and Leo being the leader of the Mad Burnish. This sort of history between characters is actually a pretty popular trope to be used in anime, so I don't think it would have felt out of place. Anyway, since the film doesn't do this, and yet Gallo ends the film by promising to always have Leo's back and the two are now on the same side, I think it helps make this relationship seem like it can be read as more of a star-crossed lovers type of thing. I mean, some of the reasons for this aren't particularly subtle. When the two join forces in Pius Deus Ex Machina together, Gallo renames it to the Leo de Gallon, a combination of her two names. It's giving the fans a ship name for them right there. Also, when this action sequence starts, a prominent heart-shaped explosion bellows into the air. Then, of course, there's the scene of Gallo giving Leo the kiss of life. Giving CPR in mouth-to-mouth isn't going to necessarily come across as romantic or suggest anything gay. However, when it's presented as it is in premiere, with the shot lingering for as long as it does, and Gallo's flustered reaction afterwards. It kind of does. I think it's also worth mentioning how the two have personalities and character designs that seem pretty opposite from each other but actually end up complementing each other pretty well. Gallo is loud and bold and he tends to rush into things head first. Leo is quieter and plays his cards closer to his chest but inside he actually shares Gallo's passionate personality. He believes in the burnished cause deeply and is devoted to their right to exist. In terms of appearance, Gallo is bigger and he barely ever wears a shirt. His optimistic and extroverted personality comes through in how he looks. Leo is small and slim and androgynous. He fits quite neatly into the in model. Their designs make them stand out, but also the differences help highlight the similarities and the bonds that they have by the end of the movie. This appealing contrast between them has been utilised in the film's marketing and official artwork. There's numerous drawings that have been released of a pair posing in various slice-of-life, light-hearted scenarios, such as going to the pizzeria that features in the movie, Leo trying on a firefighter jacket, and quite a few of Leo and Gallo in tuxedos, which kind of makes it look like they're getting married. Coupled with what is going on on screen in the movie itself, things like this make it hard to believe that the creators could be totally unaware that people might take Gallo and Leo to be more than just friends. In fact, releasing extra content that focuses so much on the two spending carefree and fun time together, presumably after the main events of the movie, It really comes across like after the movie, these two started dating. Good for them, I guess. Finally, in regard to these two's relationship anyway, something that I think is pretty interesting is the choice of music. I'll talk a bit more about the animation in a moment, but similarly to the animation, my impression of the soundtrack for Premiere is overall is pretty lively and loud and energetic. Anyone who knows me in real life will probably know that when it comes to music, I'm not all that knowledgeable and it's not something that really interests me in general very much at all. Therefore, it's not something I'm particularly prone to talking about and I don't have much confidence in discussing it. However, within the context of a film, I think it's very important and a lot of my favourite movies have very strong and memorable soundtracks and or use of incidental music. And in the case of this film in particular, the soundtrack is worth bringing up when thinking about Leo and Gallo's relationship. The soundtrack for Premiere was composed by Hiroyuki Sawano, who is probably best known for his prolific work on anime series, particularly anime that fit into the Shonen action, fantasy, or mecha subgenres. However, he has also worked on the soundtracks of live action and video game projects as well as producing independent works. I want to bring up three songs in particular from the film. Inferno, Gallant Ones, and Lock the Nice. All three have a different feel to them and are featured at different points in the movie, but a commonality they share is that the lyrics in each feature lines and overall have themes that tie very closely to Gallo and Leo and, to be honest, come across as kind of romantic. For example, Inferno, which acts as the movie's main theme song, begins with Trails of fire, you always knew, they would carry me home, they'd lead me to you. The song is most explicitly about Gallo, about him being a firefighter, and his general fiery personality. However, it's also sung as a duet, and it's hard to imagine who the song refers to in these lines, if not to Leo. Gallant Ones is also a duet, and features two male vocalists. It is described as being manly, and intended to represent the partnership between Leo and Gallo, specifically when they enter the Deus Ex Machina together later renamed the Leo de Gallen. I can see what they mean by this, however, with a line like the flicker of the candlelight, it hypnotises like your stare, it's hard to see this as being just about a strictly platonic brotherly partnership. Then there's Locked in Ice, and this one, I feel like I'd have to quote the entirety of the lyrics to pick out the ones that come across as a bit gay. I mean, Shiochi, the song's vocalist, even said the song was about feeling trapped in love and having a sort of selfish love for someone. Obviously, when a song is used in a film, that doesn't mean that the viewer is meant to take every lyric as a literal description of what the characters are feeling. However, when a song is composed specifically for a film and the song is so unambiguously about love, featuring lines like You're cold like ice, but you might melt with a fiery love. It might be a bit less bold than Gallo saying that line explicitly to Leo's face in the film. But still, I'm not sure there's a convincing heterosexual explanation for that. I mentioned wanting to bring up animation. Premiere is a film with a very distinctive look to it, and it's hard to really review or discuss the film without discussing that part of it. I have to admit, when I first watched the film, I thought some of it was a bit full-on until a bit of time went on and I got more interested in the story. I'm a big fan of the director Masaki Yuasa, who also uses big expressive movements and expressions in his work, rather than trying to portray a sense of realism. But his work also has a certain delicateness that isn't really present in Premiere or the works of Studio Trigger as a whole at least from what I've seen so far. One thing in particular that strikes me about bit of animation, besides the character designs and use of colour, both of which I grew to actually really like, is the prominence of triangles in the film. Big, blocky square shapes are also very present, for example, in the architecture of Prompolis. However, the burnished flames, explosions and the premiere itself are depicted using triangular shapes. The intro to the movie features triangles prominently, particularly pink triangles. Multiple pink triangles shown all over the screen. It's hard as a gay viewer, especially given what else is going on in the film with regard to themes and the dynamic between Gallo and Leo, to not see this as an interesting choice. The pink triangle being the symbol that was originally used by the Nazis to identify gay men in the concentration camps. The symbol has since been reclaimed and can be seen on numerous memorials for gay victims of the holocaust and also other homophobic violence as well as featuring in artwork, protest signs and fashion. Of course this could be a coincidence but it's a pretty well known symbol and even if this wasn't intended to have this underlying meaning, The fact remains that its usage in the film, together with the theme of an oppressed group rallying and fighting for survival, has added fuel to the fire, if you'll excuse the pun, for a gay reading of Premiere. Speaking about the animation, it feels like I should talk a little bit more about Studio Trigger, as well as some of their other anime and some of the work that those who are now associated with Studio Trigger did previously. However, I also don't want to get too sidetracked, this episode is about the gay aspects of Premiere after all, and not just anime in general, or even studio trigger in general. But I do think it's helpful to get a feel for the studio as a whole and some of the common themes that their works share. Therefore, I'm going to restrain myself and reference just a couple of specific examples. I've mentioned Kill la Kill and Little Witch Academia as some of their most well-known works, but to be honest I haven't seen these. I've seen the Little Witch Academia movie, but that was a long time ago and as a franchise I'm not really familiar with it. However, I have seen BNA Brand New Animal, which is an anime series that was released as their next project after Premiere. BNA shares certain story beats to Promare, although it's a pretty different type of show. I didn't watch it because I saw Premiere and liked it and wanted to see other studio Trigger stuff. However, I think if you like Premiere, there's a chance you might like BNA. Although, don't expect it to have quite so many giant robots and explosions. You can expect, however, the themes of outsiders, oppressive governments, and expressive rather than realistic uses of color and movement. Then there's Deadlies, which predates Trigger but was Hiroyuki Imaishi's directorial debut. In terms of visuals, you can see several elements of his distinctive style, which is very energetic, fast-paced, and bears some resemblance to 90s American cartoons. It also features themes of outsiders, oppressive governments, and even horrible prisons. The tone is pretty different, however, but these things were obviously still interesting for Imaishi to explore 15 years previously. I think this continuity is worthwhile and kind of interesting to note just for its own sake, but to bring things back to gayness, the themes that seem to particularly have captured Hiroyuki Imaishi's imagination and I guess Studio Triggers um, are also ones that I think can resonate quite strongly with gay audiences for obvious reasons. Besides this with Studio Trigger, I've noticed that despite, at least to my knowledge, not having many characters that explicitly come out and being like Yes, I'm gay and I'm in love with this other character of the same gender. It seems to have a fairly high proportion of fans that are active in their fan bases and seem to consistently pick up on certain sexual or romantic chemistry between some of the characters. Obviously, shipping characters together is pretty prevalent. It's all around many different fandoms and it doesn't necessarily point to a forial intent or even a lot of gay subtext in the show itself. But from what I can see, at least, there seems to be a fair amount of source material in Show Trigger's work that teases or suggests same-sex crushes and desires. Kill Kill is pretty notable for this, even from an outsider's point of view. But in terms of what I have seen personally, BNA is a pretty good example of this too, since it features um, some characters that can quite easily be interpreted as having a lesbian romance between them instead of being best friends. I think it'll be no surprise when I say that I like Promere. On the surface, it wasn't going to be the sort of thing that I'd be particularly interested in. Mecha anime has never really grabbed me as much as it has some people. Like martial arts films, I guess, it has a body of dedicated fans that are specifically obsessed with mecha and are really knowledgeable and passionate about it and I definitely wouldn't class myself as that. However, what I like about Premiere is that I think it's very successful in using and being aware of the tropes of mecha anime and I guess action anime in general and using them to push the story forward at a breakneck speed, sometimes shamelessly while also dealing with heavier themes. The way that Leo and Gallo's relationship can be read as being pretty gay helps of course, but to be honest, even if that didn't exist or if it was played down a bit more than it is, I think I'd still like it. I'd also still think that there are significant things about it that drew interesting parallels to gay liberation, whether that parallel is intentional or not. I've seen some people online be kind of critical of how *Premiere* has been hyped as being really gay and think it's unfair that Studio Trigger is being praised for this since it's not the same as having an explicitly gay anime and so it's not real representation. I agree with this to an extent, it's not the same and there are gay anime out there that are worth watching and supporting or anime that have gay characters and side plots. But from what I've seen, there's not a whole lot that aren't specifically about gay romance, slice of life, coming of age type things. It's generally harder to find things, not just in anime, but in films and other media in general, that contain significant gay subject matter, but are in other genres such as mecha or shonen especially things with the production values, hype and big names behind them like Premiere has. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I think it's understandable to be excited about Premiere if you've been desperate for this. I think there's enough in the film for it to be convincingly read as being kind of gay and I think those who are really quick to disparage that and say it's not really gay, we should be looking for real representation instead of Celebrating this. That's all well and good, but in the meantime, I think we should let each other enjoy what we have. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed episode 8 of that movie Sounds Gay. I feel like there's a lot more that could be said on this topic, and it was kind of hard to cut it down and not get too sidetracked, so hopefully, I managed to cover most of the main bases and not get too distracted. If you enjoyed Premiere, let me know what you thought, and also, if you're familiar with other Studio Trigger works, how you think it compared to them. I'd also be curious to hear if you think there are any other anime series or movies that you think stand out as containing significant gay subtext, beyond just the typical, these two characters have great chemistry, let's ship them together type of thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter where my username is thatmoviesounds or send me an email at thatmoviesoundsgay at gmail.com. Join me in two weeks time for episode 9 where I'll be staying in the world of anime and manga and be talking about the 2001 Takashi Miki film Ichi the Killer. I know it's a live action movie and it's based off of a manga, not an anime, but it's kind of in the same ballpark.